From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Jones takes the step. Again to Pierre. He runs up the middle. Lowers the shoulders. Dives in. There's a flag on the play. It is still a touchdown, Patriots. Two turnovers have led to the lead and insurance here early in the fourth. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It is Patriots week. They got the job done uh, yesterday on Monday Night Football. It's Cofield and Company. Patriots taking on the Raiders this week. We'll find out more about the uh, Patriots plans and what they're doing in the lead up to the game and if they have a full run of the facility like they did over the summer. I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, big day uh, around Las Vegas. The game isn't here, but VGK days are always big days. VGK in the peg. Hashtag no pegging, right? Uh, Jets taking on the Golden Knights. Jets actually favored minus 145. So we'll break down the game in just a couple minutes. That's one of our top stories today. More on the Raiders and their playoff chances. Lots of good guests along the way. A little bit of UNLV football talk later on as well. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Adam Hill is the company. Ari is here in our uh, Finley Toyota Studios. Is the party going on outside? What's up, Adam? How are you doing? It's uh, yeah, very distracting. A lot of people outside just milling about and screaming. It's fun. It's a solid door. What do you mean? You can barely hear him. All right, you want me to use the other microphone? Is that what you're telling me? Okay. We're discombobulated coming out. <laughs> I was the, talking to the wrong one. The, the newfangled studio screwing up that you've been in for 15 years. Or that, you know, we only are here once a month. It is a little unfamiliar. <laughs> yes. So is the noise. So is the uh, hacking cough outside often. Well, so I don't think I was talking on the air. So I'll, I have. Oh, you're back. I have two microphones and I sat in front of one and then moved to the other. And I think I already turned on the other one. So we're good. I think we're good to go. It was my fault. I sat in front of the wrong one. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, we didn't comment much on one of the big stories in college basketball. We didn't comment much on it yesterday because we wanted some more details. The details are not good for very short-lived UNLV coach Chris Beard. I think a lot of people here think he's a kind of a creep. Um, I'm not going to – I'm not passing judgment on this story until we know exactly what happened, but it ain't a good one on the front end. So he's been suspended by Texas indefinitely. Texas – was really affected by it last night because they were a massive favorite against Rice and had to go to overtime. Rodney Terry, who's a familiar name to Mountain West Conference basketball fans, is the associate head coach. So he's going to take over to be the head coach. Uh, he's a guy who was a head coach at UTEP in Fresno, Fresno in the Mountain West Conference. But, yeah, Chris Beard, the story that was told, recounted by his fiance, pretty bad. Pretty bad. The weird thing here is he says he recorded this, he has audio, proof of it. He would not give that to the police. He's going to, you know, I'm not going to say lawyer up because that sounds like it's a dig. I guess he's going to have that in his defense. But, boy, the description of the event that she threw out there, it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, no question about it. And, and, you know, I saw a lot of people right away that said, oh, he's not, he has tapes, but he's not turning them over. They must be bad for him. I think people should understand the legal process a little bit better. Yeah, I don't think anyone really thinks about lawyers and the whole process. Not anybody, but lots of people don't think it through. Yeah, I got a question. I don't. 
At what point did he say, I got to record this? Well, if think if if it's something that's ongoing, if it's something that so happens, if it's like hours, or or if it's something that's happened in the past, right. like he's time he's and time ready. again, you see, you know, patterns of behavior, like oh, when this happens, this starts to happen. I'm going to start protecting myself in this case. Um, some of us have been in these situations before, so you you just kind of you know think about those things. So I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to pass judgment on the fact that he recorded or that he has recorded if he does or that he wouldn't turn them over, like that. I, I believe is something that you would just say, yeah, I'm going to let my lawyer take care of that. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say here, take this. Um, you know, we'll see when the, when the evidence comes out, just like in many cases, it turns to be different than it was uh, in the first telling. But I think right away you just say, okay, uh, let's take a step back as Texas did say, all right, go away from the team for a little bit. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We'll see how the quick case plays out. And, uh, we'll find out. And then a lot of times you also never know the truth because these things get played out or, you know, in many cases, real victims don't want to don't want to go through with it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want this to be made public. And um, that's a real shame, too, because oftentimes they will do something to protect somebody. And then I don't see it was a lie. Yeah. Like, I don't, <laughs> don't, don't want to ruin that person's life. Right. And then all of a sudden people look at the story as fabricated and the uh, perpetrator, alleged perpetrator, is now Innocent. Right. Like, usually somewhere in the middle. Usually. But you also... I don't know what the deal know. is here. It could be it could be the worst case scenario. Um, he's charged with felony assault. Strangulation was involved. The details are terrible. I mean, and but, and but Texas, also, did, Texas did the right thing. And, you know, anyone out there who's saying he needs to be fired right away, I mean, that's that's silly. Yeah. You don't know. And, and, and by the way... Like the details that are out now are just very, very minor, not minor incident, but a mi- like very small part of what the whole story would be. So um, you don't want to judge it just on this. And you, you, I mean, you hope these things never happen, but the reality is thing, these things do happen and they have to be dealt with on an individual basis. You've covered these before. I have. You do have to be very careful. Yeah. No, no question. It's not. Not quite as fun as covering just regular sports, right? We're gonna, by the way, we're going to talk to Jeff Grammer later on in our four o'clock hour. If you don't know who he is, he is the uh, crime reporter slash Lobo beat writer in Albuquerque. Now I kid because he seems to be covering some horrific crime incident almost every year. So yeah. we'll have him on in about an hour and forty five minutes because we really haven't gotten an expert's take on what turned out to be a deadly shootout between a New Mexico student and a New Mexico State basketball player. Yeah, and it, this is also why you know we have on a regular basis a couple of attorneys booked because we don't know everything. So we'll get into uh, this story and more on the New Mexico story uh, throughout the week. But uh, grammar's coming up in the four o'clock hour. So the Knights go into this game with some familiar themes. The injury bug is biting again. They're yeah. playing the Jets, and the list is pretty long here. Winnipeg's hosting the Silver Knights. And this is this is why it seems like the last 10, 12 games, especially of late, have been very up and down. There's inconsistencies all over the lineup because you don't know who's going to be out there. So the latest has what? Eichel? Day-to-day. Okay. Who else? Shea Theodore? Week-to-week? Zach Whitecloud? Month-to-month. That's the, hockey that's is your favorite. You go from the NFL where it's pretty precise to hockey where 
day to day, week to week, month to month, upper body, lower body. And the the I mean they're all you know they're all different in their own regard. Of course, uh, Zach Whitecloud. Of course, when he went down the other night. After the game, Bruce Cassidy, if you really read between the lines, you can pick up a lot more from Bruce Cassidy than you can from anyone else that's been coaching here or anywhere else in the league. But the other night, hey, what's the update with White Cloud? We don't have one yet. I'll just tell you, didn't look good. Okay, that's probably a severe thing, and it turns out looks like it is. Uh, with Shea Theodore after the game, he had the huge colliding of knee slash shin uh, it was. It looked awful out on the ice, and the response after the game was, "I don't know that it was as bad as it looked." Okay, maybe it's not a, a season long thing. Okay, cool. Uh, we got that. Uh, then we had Jack Eichel, who missed a few games, came back, and didn't look good when he came back. He was really laboring to get through that, and that was just him saying, "Hey, I want to play." And they let him play, and it didn't. You know, the speed wasn't there. Uh, the you know the the burst into in you know as he tried to start skating wasn't there just didn't look good so they had him try then shut him down again and he's day to day which I, I think is probably fairly accurate because it looks like he you know he was able to come back it just wasn't there so they're going to give him a couple more days off and of course Alex Petrangelo that's still the big out. one too yeah Petrangelo still out and we don't know the details attending family issues hmm. personal matter what happens tonight against the Jets. I mean, it, it, it's going to be real tough. And and we talk all the time. I mean, injuries, last year was just the entire team. It was basically like the entire lineup was out, uh, which was tough. Now it's a few guys, but they're really, you know, it, it, with the exception of Eichel, it's all defensemen. So you've got to really try to fill in that decor, which becomes very difficult when so many guys are out because it's not just it's not just a matter of, oh, let's just bring this guy up and you know, he comes from, from the Silver Knights, so plug him into the lineup. But it's... Hey, let's bring up maybe a pair that plays together with the Silver Knights up to try to fill in because they are accustomed to playing together because you want defensemen who have played together. And then let's try to fill in, you know, the gaps here and there with who who actually works well together, who can play together, uh, who can play each side of the ice that they can make a defensive pair. Uh, so there is a lot to kind of go into uh, trying to fill in these spots instead of just plugging in a guy because, hey, here's a hurt guy. Here's a guy in his, in his place. doesn't really work that way. 5 o'clock, puck drop over on Fox Sports, Las Vegas. That's 1340 and 98.9 FM. That's our home of Vegas Golden Knights hockey. Giveaway time. A couple of tickets right now for Five Finger Death Punch. 364-1100, 364-1100. Caller number seven at the MUA, Mick Ultra Arena. A lot of events over there right now. It's a Saturday show this Saturday. This Saturday, the 17th, Ticketmaster.com. Five Finger Death Punch. Grab your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. Ari's got a pair, 364-1100. Caller number seven. Continuing on the uh, injury theme, last night was a freaking devastating night. You don't want to see anyone go down, especially the way Kyler Murray went down. The injury is severe, and it could mean the beginning of the end for the guys who are running that squad. Kyler could be down a long time. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Unfortunately, guys, it kind of looked like the end of an era last night. It was a devastating injury, and Cliff Kingsbury just looked like it was over last night. They're going to have to really think long and hard. Who's the best person on the planet to coach Kyle Murray going forward? He's not going anywhere for another year or two, but based on my experience, I'm not so sure Kyle Murray will be ready for opening day next year. He could easily go on PUP, meaning he's not eligible for the first six weeks. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. 
Is there any way Tyler Murray starts next year? Beginning of the season? There's a way. It's December. September? Well, yeah. A recovery from... Nine eight. and a half, nine and three quarters months? Yeah, recovery from, recovery from ACLs has been much, much faster the last few years. I mean, you see guys six, seven months. Um, Chase Young? Yeah, it, it depends. It depends how many setbacks you have during a recovery. I'm just talking about the position itself. You got to be mobile. That's part of his game. Um, he signed to a billion dollar deal, whatever it is, two you know, two hundred and sixty million dollar deal. I'm not rushing him back. No, but it, which it's sucks. Also, you have to. You start out next season like, hey, it's going to be have to, have to be Colt McCoy or someone who's going to man the ship. By the way, that was Mike Tannenbaum, former executive in the league, talking about Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, who. Um, Stepped the wrong way last night. Uh, you and I were both watching, and we we're like, "Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst." I mean, it, it it doesn't matter how you do it, but I guess you know when you see someone get cracked in the side of the leg or folded over, you're like, "Okay, I get it." But when you plant and tear your freaking ACL, which may, who knows? I'm the Dr. Cofield here. Maybe he had some previous damage in there, but yeah, torn ACL for Kyler Murray. So probably a long shot. He would have to be on the strong end. Of returnees from ACL. Yeah, and those that watch Hard Docs know he's he's been dealing with injuries all year, so he hasn't had as many reps, so his leg's probably a little bit weakened from that as well. Um, there's a lot of issues that go into that uh, in terms of how it could have happened. But, I I mean, yes, it's possible he's ready for the start of next year. It's also possible this is it for him as a high-level quarterback because we have seen a couple of guys. As you said, there's different timelines for different guys. Some guys are back in six months now. The surgery is much better. The recovery is much better. The the knowledge of rehab is much better. Like guys are back very quick, but you also have people like Robert Griffin who tore his ACL was done. Uh, he tried here and there, and yeah. you know tried to come back, but never was the same player. And we're looking at what just over ten months now for Odell Beckham, who's probably a long shot to come back in the playoffs, even yeah. though they continue to throw this fable out there that he's going to be ready to go. Yeah. So you, I mean, there, there's just different levels for different guys, and I don't think it's I don't really think it's how hard they work or how or anything like that. I think it's just more. You know, the structure of your body and uh, kind of luck of the draw in some cases. So you've definitely seen guys that just don't come back at that same level. And we'll see what happens with the new coaching staff and where they are with him. It's, there's a lot of variables that come into this. Is this an entire hit the restart button aside from Kyler Murray with the organization? Probably. I mean, I think they're going to be like, hey, you know what? I'm an idiot. I can't believe I signed both the GM and the coach to an extension. This isn't working. I mean, I, I would think so, but they also, the Cardinals also do have the. Hey, look, we didn't have our guys, so we should run it back and have they our have guys them. back. Not really. I mean, Kyler was Kyler has been hampered most of the year uh, with injuries. This bad though. Watt missed a bunch. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's reasons. Are they four and nine now? There's reasons before. Yeah, there's reasons before. He's to, a, the problem with the problem with Kingsbury, he's got a track record. Like it just it it, it just hasn't been that good. And there is someone out there who is rumored to be interested in the job, which I think is the guy you go after. Well, every is it if you're talking about Peyton, that's every job that's out. It's there. not every job because you have to have a young quarterback. Sean Payton's not taking a job without a franchise quarterback who's young. Or a franchise quarterback. Someone he believes I mean the rumors were a couple weeks ago. He's most interested in the Chargers and the Cardinals. And then a story came out the other day. Hey, if it's a total disaster, maybe he feels bad enough. Feels like he, you know, he left it. Left it unfinished in New Orleans, he could just go back and take over the Saints. But you are going to have to pay compensation, which, believe me, I have this conversation about uh, every five days because he's still under contract with the Saints. I have it about every five days about the Chargers because the SO is a Chargers fan, and she's like, please go get Sean Payton. I'm like, I don't think Sean Payton is worth a first-round pick. I think you can find someone else who can coach Herbert. And then the team we didn't mention, 
when the Cowboys inevitably get in a position where it's coach v. coach, great job by Mike McCarthy piling up wins, but when the best of the best are competing in the playoffs, is he going to be the reason the Cowboys fall short again? And Jerry Jones is, what is 80, looking 110, like it's go time. So there's going to be competition for him. Well, well could, couldn't he also say, you know, I'd love to coach, you know, Bryce Young in Houston or CJ Stroud in Carolina. I mean, it's going to be every job is going to is going to reach out and try. I don't think he would. He could. But I don't think he would. You're right, Tepper. David Tepper is the second richest owner now in in football, next to the Broncos guys. Yeah. So, yeah, Tepper could make a run. I mean, do you, do you think anyone? Do you think anyone who's who? Um, with any sort of football smarts, who's got options, would look at the Texans and go, I want to work for Cal McNair. He's a horse's ass. Sure. Sure. Well, what about going to coach Russell Wilson and for all the money in the world? I mean, I think they already have their guy, but, you know, what? You love Hackett. You're still sticking with him? No, I think they already decided they're hiring Dan Quinn. Oh, where'd that come from? I just think it's very possible. Okay. So your argument here is there's like eight eight viable jobs for Sean Payton to yeah. to grab. That's so it yes. won't be easy for the Cardinals. Yeah, I think so. And and by the way, again with the uncertainty about Kyler Murray, like if you say like, oh, they got a young quarterback to work with, well, do they? I mean, I, I if I were Sean Payton, I don't think the choice is a, as easy as I laid out initially. I don't know that I want to work for the Spanoses. I don't know that I want to work for Bidwell and with Kyler Murray. And I just mentioned I don't want to work for the Texans owner. Crazy Char- enough, I mean... Chargers have their coach. Well, there's so many guarantees here. What, who, who's their coach? Staley. Are you sure? Yes. Haven't you been... You're such a Staley backer. Haven't the Raiders brass been, like, alerted to this? Possibly. Yes. You won't even tell the story? No. So it was off the record. Come on! It's busting your chops. No. It's the... Yeah, the Ra- Raiders, Raiders front office and the coaching staff knows that I'm a very much yes. analytics. They guy. bust your chops over, sure. uh, which I which I'll stand by. And by the way, I think the Chargers. What's wrong with the Chargers? They're healthy and now they're in the playoffs. They're, they're going to be in the playoffs. Joe Lombardi is, and Staley. I think has to. I think he's got to give out, give off, you know, whatever, shake off some duties. He's got to go back to coaching how he wants to coach. Well, he needs to be, I'm not going to say more aggressive because you hate that. Yeah. Coach by the numbers. Because you hate that he's now being risky. Listen how I'm putting this, folks. Yeah. Otherwise, I get yelled at. Yes. But he's not going full analytics guy. He's lost some confidence in that. Yeah. He's he's risking he's risking his team's chances to win by punting on fourth yeah. and ones. They, uh, they don't have a top-notch OC. So... I think if he's willing to make that change, and I think if he's willing to hand off more of the defensive duties, he needs to be just a head coach. Yeah, and he needs to coach the way he wants to. I don't know who impacted him or who got in his head, but stop. Media. Well, I think it's more noise ownership. Why don't you coach the way they, they used to coach back in the 70s? Is that the way Spano speaks? Probably. <laughs> so this all started as a discussion that the Cardinals might be looking to turn the page. With the head coach and the GM, instead of leaning on the crutch, I don't know. Watch, are you you are, you have not been watching Hard Knocks, or you have? I got up to the Mexico trip, and then I I'd heard from you or someone else that they did they ever address the the guy no. going berserk. 
No, the old line coach. They showed like a. Two well, then I then I think I'm out. I don't want to. Like, if you're not even, you're not going to tell I'm, a coach gets fired on a trip to Mexico City for something he did away from the field. We don't have any details. I should be clear. They what, addressed it. They, I mean, they showed like the coaches saying, "Hey, we've moved on from he's him. He's gone. We apologize for keeping him around. He should have been here, and he's out." He's wait. They said he shouldn't have been there. It basically, the, wait. Were there know, problems before? Apparently, yeah, there was something. And we, but. You don't get that on hard knocks. Well, I'm more, I'm much more concerned about the Eno Benjamin situation than anything else. That's Explain what I'm that one. about. So Eno Benjamin did something after a game to get cut. He's like a prominent part of their team. Does something gets cut. The producer went on an, a radio interview and said, "Oh man, this is some of the best footage we've ever got. We can't wait for next week's episode. This is going to be awesome." <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. So clearly, the team exercised their right to cut that out. But what it also did is it allowed Edo Benjamin to send out a tweet that said, I told you guys there was nothing there. Like, okay, now show it. There should be a clause that said, if we cut something out and whoever was the beneficiary of getting that cut out comments publicly, we're releasing the footage. That should be part of the contract. <laughs> All right, maybe it is must-watch. It's not. Must-watch frustration. But I'm very excited. I was so mad they didn't do a new episode during the bye week last week. Come on, give me something. It's one of two shows I watch during the football season. Put it back on. But you see what I mean from a coaching standpoint? When you look at that organization, you're All like... Americans in a break now, too. Just Bidwell. It's kind of been a common theme. Oh, but Just that, a that messy was, organization. That's what I was going to talk about, though. So Bidwell and Kime just sit next to each other during the game and do these dumb fist bumps all the time? Yeah. I think they're too close. Oh, you... Well, I was actually thinking that, too, that... It seems like Kime can pretty much do anything, and he doesn't get moved out. Just all anytime there's a first down, fist bump. So stupid. So who is Steve Kime's guy? Is Peyton a Kime guy? It trusts me. I think Peyton's a Peyton guy. Wherever Peyton goes, he's going to have his choice of who the GM is going to be. Yeah, you don't want him being the GM, but he's he's going to be able to shop for the groceries and make a lot of selections. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine that's the case, and you know, who knows if he, you know, wants to go into a situation where they already have somebody and he thinks he can work with them or. Um, you know, I heard uh, I heard Dan Campbell talking today in, in an interview about kind of getting paired up with a GM that he didn't really know, and he's like, "I I went into the situation like I hope I hope it's good, I right. hope this works," and he said there there cannot be you know a better relationship than than he has with them. So sometimes you just don't know. I would imagine Sean Payton knows enough people around the league that he probably has his preference of who he wants to have in there, but sometimes you can just pair somebody with somebody and it just works. Trayvon Mullen, how's he doing with the Cardinals? Well, he's not on the Cardinals anymore. What happened? He was released like an hour ago. I did. I didn't know that. You told I know, me. I know. It's lobbing the softball for you to hit out of the park. So another former Raider right now out of the league. 120 snaps in eight games for the Cardinals, and he's out. Health, one of the biggest issues with him. He can play. Got to get healthy. He can be on a roster. He's sure. not John Abram. Sure. Who I have no idea what his future is now because he lasted a couple of weeks, was real happy, and then the Packers were like, eh, we've seen enough. Is he in Seattle? Did he get picked up? I think so. All right. Unless he's he gone continues to live. He's gone from there too. He continues too, maybe? to live. Hey, he's, on the way back, I want to get to I want to get to a couple of big decisions uh with Las Vegas and finances uh cuz we got some moving and shaking going on with the Al and also uh Vegas LVCVA is further committed to the Pac-12. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. 
It's the next game on the schedule. I know I used to work there, and you know we have a couple players that used to be there and a couple coaches, but this is an important game for the Raiders, whether we were playing the Patriots or any other team. I don't really put any stock into the different things. You guys are going to have a hard time finding me the next couple days, so <laughs> it is what it is. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Josh McDaniels pouring cold water a la Belichick on the Belichick matchup. All right. You were there. Were you laughing? That was my question. Did you start chuckling? A little bit. Well, it, I, 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 in full disclosure, I had phrased the question very poorly because I was trying to be creative with it uh, before that, and then I had to clarify the question, and then that's the answer that he gave, which was an accurate answer. This was Friday, obviously the day after the game, and it was kind of a mini buy, so everybody had Saturday, Sunday, Monday off, and so uh, that's that's the you're going to have a hard time finding me the next couple of days because I, I had asked him. You know, usually a 10-day break is nice and at this point in the season to get some guys healthy, but is it kind of not nice right now because now you have 10 days to talk about playing the Patriots? And he said, you're going to have a hard time fighting me the next three days anyway, so not going to talk about it any more than uh, we would otherwise. Was he locked down working or taking a break? I think he was taking a break. He said the locker room after that Thursday debacle tough to against the Rams was one of the craziest things you've ever seen? Yeah, it's tough to describe. Very down in the dumps. Yeah, it was. I mean, you just you walked in and you just it, and this has been a thing before. Uh, to bring it back to, uh, I don't remember how many people remember when uh, when the Raiders had that lightning delay at SoFi last year, and John Gruden talked about how poorly the locker room is set up for the visitors at SoFi, um, and everybody kind of made fun of it because nobody had really been in the locker room yet. It was still COVID time. There was nobody in there, and this year we went in there for the first time. And kind of said, oh, this is what John Gruden was talking about. This locker room is set up terribly. And so now we go into this locker room after that, which was you know, just a, a crushing loss. And there's a bunch of guys sitting around at their lockers just devastated. There's tears. There's anger. There's emotion. There's all this. And now a bunch of media people are coming in. And not only not only the, the regular media people, but the national networks. And, uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of, you know, extra staff in there, too. The way that it's set up, it's kind of weird. So there's nowhere to move around. So the players can't really walk to the showers because there's people kind of in the – it's like a maze back there. Uh, everybody's kind of stuck where they are. And it was just – it was every emotion possible stacked with just frustration of just so many people being in a small space. It was, it, I, it's tough to even describe like the scene that was in there. And in the end, I know it's a football game. I get it. Uh, it's, you know, there's real life that's worse, but that that room just was. Uh, it was a tough place to be. So everyone needed a little bit of chill time. I think so. Yeah. Hey, I saw the story in the paper uh, yesterday about a bunch of improvements needed for Allegiant. Oh yeah, it's very old. So they, you know they got they got a. Fix that thing up a little bit. About $7.5 million worth of uh, work. About 15 items. To your knowledge, the, the money for this is coming from? I still can't figure it I'm, out. I read the story, and I'm still not exactly sure where it comes from. It sounds like there is a fund where if there's extra money left over from the room tax, then that money goes into this fund. But the f- I, I believe that the state would pick up anything that's not in that fund, but the fund right now is fine. It's mostly safety issues. I mean, the biggest thing is they need more canopies around the gates or bigger ones. God, I would love to see the 
like the material cost and the bids that go into the stuff. Three and a half million dollars for canopies. Don't you have one in your backyard? You can help them out. $1.3 million for a misting system outside. Is there anyone in Vegas who has seen a misting system that actually works? Like, I suppose, if like, it's right on your neck. Like, you're, 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 you can sit down, I, and it's, like, four feet off the ground. I go to a lot of, like, uh, like a brunch, lunch-type things on, on outdoor places. It's not. It's okay. actually, it actually, right. there's some... There's some help, and I, I, mean, I, I like think... it. It's you know, it's it, as it says in the story, it's aimed at, at helping event goers stay cool. So but, there's at least they're making an effort. Like I don't think yes, if you're saying like you're going to stand there for three hours and you're gonna you're still going to get hot in the misting system, I think it's more it's where you're just kind of entering the building. So if you're standing in line trying to enter, which usually would not be a very long period of time, it could be somewhat helpful. Three hundred one point three million seems like a lot for it. Does seem like a lot. Three hundred thirty thousand dollars for a. Uh, a cover for the grass field. Okay. I mean, it probably de- he does need one. I mean, sure. I'm sure it gets burnt to hell. And it also, we saw it, we looks... saw it in the preseason. You know, after it got played upon a bunch, it is it is. There are times it get, it does get burnt out, but three hundred thirty thousand dollars also seems like a lot. More bollards around the stadium. Those are always a good thing. That's three hundred fifty thousand. I feel like you, you could just make make some of those easier. Are we, I don't know how much things cost. I are no we idea. building? I thought we were build. I thought Arizona started rebuilding their wall to Mexico, and they just use shipping containers. Why don't we just put shipping containers around the stadium to keep just so, cars plowing into shipping containers? It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be very attractive. Be kind of cumbersome. The, I'm okay with those bollard things. But I just I like seem, the bollards. They seem like they should be cheaper. They just kind of stand there. Is there any clearance bollards? It's fine. The cover for the for the who's, who's cornered the market on the Bollard business? Why didn't we do that? Somebody. What are we? Why are we doing this? Somebody has to be the leading manufacturer of Bollards. I can't keep doing this. How much do you think one costs? If know. you would have honestly asked me, this is not even a, this isn't a bit. This is for this whatever. Yeah, yeah. I would have said like three hundred bucks. Oh, I would say more like ten thousand dollars for one. Well, you saw that. You saw the $350,000. No, no, I actually don't know. Well, you're right. I see the total. It's just a thing that stands there. Five thousand? Three hundred. Ten thousand? That would seem like a ripoff. I don't know. Would you buy one for like your garage in front of your house? I like no. If it was three hundred, oh, I would think about in, it. Inside so that whoever's parking because uh, you know, since I'm a hoarder, there's no room for two cars in the garage. Actually, the SO's better parker in the garage than I am. I have like a little cabinet. Actually, I had to set up a tennis ball. I had to set up the hanging tennis ball so, I didn't, I, if, so I didn't ram it through the house. If a bollard would have been three hundred instead of ten thousand, would you set one of those up right in front of your door instead but of I, a tennis ball? I'd rather have a tennis ball because I think if I hit it, it's, there's no damage. But I don't want to crack the front of the car all the time. Right, but you on you a bollard. Could, but you could make it so that. But just, it would save me from going the inevitable sure. that's going to happen: me going through the garage into the house. Yeah, you should get one, but not a ten thousand three hundred. Yeah, sure. Wednesdays, it's the Kevin Kruger Radio Show at 5 p.m. on Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Coalfield and Company rolling on. Wanted to talk a little UNLV football, and uh, we wanted to get this guy in for a while because uh, he's done really well. Uh, after UNLV, he's coaching locally. 
Nato Ishii, who's a, a, a former walk-on at UNLV offensive lineman, is now coaching local high school football. Is up with Stephen Adam. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me on, Steve. Well, I appreciate you uh, you coming on because we started talking a couple weeks ago about you coming on. So we, we finally got it done. So, um, first of all, I want you to tell people, you know, what you were doing with UNLV football. You were a walk-on, but you spanned a couple of years, so I think you're going to have some pretty good perspective here on what just happened with Marcus Arroyo. But talk about your experience at UNLV. Yeah, so I came in in 2015. I played five seasons. Um, I originally came because Coach Joel Seomalo was the D-line coach, and we kind of knew him from Hawaii, where I'm from. And then year two, he ended up leaving, and then I had Coach Samuel. Year three, I got moved to O-line with Coach Garrison, and then year four and five, I ended with Coach Justice. And that was that was actually a huge blessing because Coach Justice was one of the best coaches I ever had and great guy, great mentor. He still talks to me today. And you've now parlayed that into the degree and the football background into a coaching job, right? Yeah, so right after so I graduated from um, my undergrad in 2018, and then I actually started grad school to get my master's in education my fifth year at UNLV, and then I was a graduate assistant with the compliance department for a couple of years to finish my grad school. And then right after that, um, I became the head coach at Lake Mead Christian Academy. All right. So how's that going? Is that, that does not sound like a gigantic institution where you're, uh, you're pulling football players from a 2,500 uh, student body. Yeah, it's actually been a ton of fun. We have about 200 kids in our high school. Um, when I first started, our original staff was Mike Hughes, J.D. Alexander, Sid Acosta, Ty Jason Roberts, and then nice. we've added Darren Palmer, Christian Clapp, Gabe McCoy, and then next year, Kenyon Obad's actually thinking about helping out, out with us. But it's, it's been a ton of fun. My, our first year, we didn't have a JV team. We had 27 players total. Um, they didn't know a lot of the basics, so we, we kind of been building them up, teaching them the basics of football, helping them grow the team. Our first year, we finished 3-6, and six, had most of the players coming back. This year, we had 38 players. And then we, we broke a school record in wins with going 7-3, and three, um, losing in the state quarterfinals. And then next year I'm projecting 50 to 60 players with our first JV team. So we've been, uh, nice. it's been a lot of fun seeing these kids grow and showing them what we've learned in our football career and teaching, teaching it to them. That's awesome. Excellent, excellent. All right, so give me your take. Uh, it's been you know, now a couple of weeks. Give me your take on Marcus Arroyo being relieved of his duties. Um, I, so I didn't have a lot of contact with him. Um, I met him a couple of times. He was a cool dude. Um, their staff actually, uh, took care of us, me and Mike Hughes back this summer when we took a couple of our kids to their camp. Um, but he had a good year this year, but, um, working in compliance and I, I know Eric Harper, um, from that experience and he was around the football team a lot. I know he has something, um, planned. Like I, I, I trust Harper to take the rebels where they need to be. You talk to a, a lot of current players, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you remain yeah. friends with them. Yeah. Um, what was their reaction to Arroyo being fired? And and more importantly, what was their relationship with Marcus? Um, it's kind of a mix, right? Because you got some the teammates I played with were the kind of like the original guys who came from the Sanchez era. So they they were kind of used to coaches. You know, there's the second coaching staff. A lot of them, third, fourth position coach. So it, to them, it was just like. It, College football is a million-dollar business, and it is what it is for a lot of them. Um, I know a lot of the younger guys, you know, came here for to hang to play for a Royal, and uh, but 
for the younger guys, they just got to, they, they're learning it now. Like, hey, college football is a business. You don't commit to play for a guy. You commit to play for a city and to play, play for a reason in that city. By the way, what do you think of Sanchez um, being fired? Did you think he deserved more time? Um. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I, mean, I, think, uh, I think the pause says says a lot. I mean, I think we're all with, with Tony Sanchez. We're all kind of on the fence with it. Like, was it going to get better? He, for what he was tasked with, he did an awesome job. But it seemed yeah, to be yeah. kind of running into a brick wall in terms of real upward progress. I will say we were knocking on the door in my last three years, but it kind of after that five and that five and seven year in 2017 was tough. We were right there a couple times, and then uh, yeah, college football five years is usually around the time of you know start getting new people in and whatnot. But I think if he stayed a couple more years, we would have went to a bowl game. But at the same time, like you know, I we play for the Rebels, and whatever the leadership wants to do is what I we all like supported that and we just we just want UNLV to to be great you know what I mean now that you're coaching and you're working with kids and you're seeing from the other angle do you do you look back on the coaches that you had in a different light yeah definitely it's coaching is not as easy as people think I remember uh (laughs) you know in high school and as players like we all think we're we we all think we're geniuses but coaching is tough and building a program is a lot um there's a lot of pieces. You got to get lucky. Um, got to have the right people around you. Got to have the right players. Because um, it, it's easy to go out there and go on the field and play, but it's another thing to try to get someone else to do it. And I think coaches deserve um, respect everywhere because it's a tough job, especially college football. It's every coach I've had has worked hundreds, hundreds of hours a week. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to build a program, and it's it's a grind for sure. And and you could be the best coach in the world, but at the end of the day, if the players don't go out there and play, then it is what it is. But it's it's definitely rewarding in terms of having an impact on the kids' lives. Nate Oishi is with us, a former UNLV football player, a walk-on uh, from Hawaii, now coaching locally, kind of giving us uh, his take on what he's seen uh, past and present around the Rebel program. You know, the other thing you should talk about is just the role of the walk-on because it is not an easy go. I mean, I'm, I've been around the program a little closer than, uh, you know, recently than I, than I was in the past. And just to see guys kind of gut it out, you're, like your role is important. We never talk about the scout team and the need for depth and guys actually working hard in practice who may never play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to love football. That's what I tell <laughs> kids. Like, if you want to play college football and, you know, especially from Hawaii, there's a lot of 5'10 alignment that that, that want to play D1 football. Right, right. And I tell them at the time, you you can play D1 football, but you got to love it. You got to love it because there's a lot of grind. I It was every day I was going against guys twice my size, grinding it out for five years, hours of workouts, hours of film. You got to love football. And you got you to gotta love what you're doing and love your teammates. And that's something I'll, I, I'll, I don't regret that because I built relationships at UNLV that will be friends forever. And I've learned a lot of life lessons on, along the way that will, I, I believe, help will help me as a coach. How, how many times were you close to maybe not continuing or saying like this isn't worth it, or did that ever happen? And I guess what kept you going when that did happen? So actually, uh, I so I thought about it a couple times, like um, going to a smaller school and whatnot. But I actually made a promise with my friend uh, Mark Ma. He was actually a player at Nevada Reno who went to go walk on there, and he ended up passing away. But we both told each other. 
hey, we, we gotta we gotta stick it out because there's kids from our high school looking up to us. So uh, that was one of the biggest things for me was that I I wanted to show kids from my high school where I'm from in Hawaii that that you can do it. So we're seeing a lot of high schools. I don't know if I've seen a coach do it, but we've seen a lot of high schools uh, tweet out that Barry Odom, the new UNLV coach, has been out to visit them. How much chatter was there in the high school community about Arroyo and the staff and the work they did or didn't do with local high schools? So I didn't, um, in my second year, I didn't get a lot of contact with them, but I did um, this past year, the new linebacker coach, Mike Bruno, he actually, I thought he did a good job because he would te- he would respond text back and forth with me on Twitter. Um, so I thought Bruno did a good job. Um, but yeah, from it's hard for me to say because we're, we're a smaller level school. I'm right. sure they're out all the big schools and whatnot, but I they did not come around our campus a lot. How important do you think it is uh, that you know if a coach comes in and you know makes a decision, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna build a program with guys from out of the area, and I'll, I'll kind of deal with the locals when I want to deal with them. I, I think it's huge, especially um, you know what co- coaches leaving and going in college. You know that these UNLV kids, the the local kids at UNLV, are not are there because that's their home, right? So their D line coach could take a job at Arizona State. And because it's their home, they have a purpose for being there. So I think lo- recruiting local kids gets the community involved. It gets kids that are playing not just to make the NFL or to further their career, but kids who are taking it personal to play for their home. How often do you get uh, back home to Hawaii? I go back home pretty often, two, three times a year. All right. I think that was probably the game that, that did in Arroyo. Yeah, actually, uh, so my uh, dad's a season ticket holder back home, and he was like, Hey, we're getting better every week, and I was telling him, I was like, "Nah, we got you guys." But uh, yeah, that was a that was a tough upset for sure for me because I'm always, you know, talking back and forth with my Hawaii family and friends. Did your uh, Did your high school have a killer year this year? Were they the Were they the champs? No, nah, no, nah, they lost in the semifinals. Um, Who they lose to? It was Iolani High School. They lost to Waipahu. Okay, they're in the D one, but uh, we actually I won my. Freshman, sophomore year, and we broke a six-year streak my junior year, and then we came together and we won my senior year. I think so we, we watched. I think we watched our high school play in that game because I went to a place called Eight Fat Fat Eight. Eight Fat Fat Eight, I think was the name of it, somewhere in Honolulu. And like it was, just, I just found it fascinating on a Friday night. Like everyone in this place was just riveted to high school football. Oh yeah, high school football in Hawaii. Like I, t- I tell a lot of people this. It's like Texas out there. I mean, that's that's pretty much. What everyone looks forward to, every like we're all, when the season ends, everyone in the community is waiting for the next season. Hey, Nate, I appreciate a couple minutes. Let's uh, let's hook up closer to the football season. We'll get you back on again, talk about the program, and uh, get a little breakdown of UNLV football, and we'll see how the uh, the spring goes and the summer goes. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to um, shout out Coach Odom because he actually texted me good a week a day after he got hired, which I thought was cool. And I don't know him. I don't know how he got my number, but I thought it was cool that he was reaching out to even the small school local coaches. It's very nice. Nate, we appreciate the time. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Steve.